All right, welcome on in Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, your favorite Real Salt Lake podcast brought to you by One Wire Fiber. This is your host, Trey Fitzgerald, alongside my favorite pod producer in the world, Ryan Hale. And uh, Ryan, this is the first podcast we've done in a while, and it's my fault completely. Yeah, there's some some new things but I am uh, I'm back officially inside the club. So um, that's been a development that you know was kind of in the works maybe for a little bit, um, created some uncertainty. Um, but what I hope that everybody listening to this podcast and everybody that has given us such great feedback, um, I don't expect it to change anything. Um, I guess you know there's there might be a few items that I have a little bit of uh, inside information or s- stuff that I'm privy to that that I wasn't before when I was outside the club. But hopefully it, my day job, if you will, doesn't impinge upon our ability to bring uh, the fan base, the stories and the perspective um, that they need. And, and people that know me, Ryan, hopefully know that I don't um, – I still wear my emotions on my sleeve and I don't sugarcoat stuff. Um, uh, and hopefully just because uh, I'm inside the club and not um, outside that I, I, I don't expect it to change anything, but I certainly would hope that the listeners um, call us out on it if they, if they see that happening. Yeah, I don't think it's maybe it's not necessarily like a bad thing either way. It's like that's one of the like I mean, here's my pitch for this show anyway. Like I pitched this to you years and years ago and it got me inside the club myself. You know, it's like what well, what the fans want is they want to know what's going on inside. You know, they watch yeah. they'll watch the 90 minutes, they'll watch the the whole 3-hour block that you've got on KTV or whatever, you know. It's like they want to know what's going on, but they you know, we know there's there's a lot of things that happen and it's not because we're like prying in and want to know like secrets it's just like i feel like i'm part of the club as a fan and i want to know what's happening inside like it means something to me when i know why someone's playing the way they are on the field or why things are happening the way they are you know and that's and i think that that for one thing the perspective from that comes from inside right um there's something to be said about a show when you have the if you don't have the club over, I mean, you're the PR director. Yeah. And so like that, obviously that there's PR involved in this, like your, yeah. your job is to make sure that the, the message coming out from the club is like unified and yeah. it's not, you know, obviously you can't, I don't know what company wants someone from inside, especially the PR director taking shots, you know, so there's obviously going to be some of that there, but I think what's important with, you know, the, the show existing and I've fought for this type of show, this specific show to exist yeah. for a long time is that, um, you know, there are people in here who have things to say and just what outlet is that that has it? You yeah. know, who, who has, who has time to talk to Rob Zarkos? Who has, who's going to, who's going to put up a, a Kurt Schmidt? Like, yeah. And not to say that there's not a reason to, but like the fans want to hear that. And it's just, there's in other outlets, it just doesn't, it's well, not, it's not something that can exist. And hopefully the fans that, that knew me during my first 14 years when I was with the club recognize that. I am always an advocate for transparency and access. And as a club, I've tried to instill that. And look, I'm never going to be the guy that gives away secrets that put us at a competitive disadvantage on the field or, um, 
you know, damage our ability to do business off the field. But uh, everybody here knows that I am passionate about connecting with the fans and and keeping the fan base uh, connected and involved. And and look, uh, an engaged fan base positively affects the locker room. An engaged fan base, a knowledgeable fan base, um, positively impacts the sponsor. Uh, base and engagement and that group as well. So it's all very symbiotic. And I think at the end of the day, all any of us want is for soccer to thrive and succeed in our community on and off the field. And you can't do that without the fans. And I think everybody here knows that and everybody here feels that. And honestly, that's one of the reasons that I was invited to come back into the organization um, this fall. And, and and now we're here uh, on the cusp of what we hope is a, a long playoff run. I mean, how cool will it be if at Thanksgiving we're talking about how Real Salt Lake, after everything it's been through the last, I don't know, five years or whatever it's been, is the only MLS team to have won a playoff game in 2018, 2019, and 2021. So obviously there's a lot of work to do before we're able to get to that point this year but um i think it's eminently possible and you know coming up next one of the big reasons why that's possible is the interim head coach pablo mastroeni and we get to hear his philosophy his attitude uh, the culture that he was building even before he was named interim head coach and he's just he's really empowered the players ryan and he's given them um, a loud voice and a loud voice in making decisions about how the group uh, moves forward in certain aspects and uh, to me that's exciting and that's why we're seeing this kind of Three five two on the fly, creating a lot of goals and uh, five wins in the last eight games uh, for Pablo. They've bounced back from every loss with a win, which I think um, sends a strong message. And um, you know they haven't had a ton of training sessions to implement these tactics, but they did just have the international break. We saw the Rocky Mountain Cup game, which I thought was the most complete performance for for this group under the three five two. Uh, under Pablo's regime. So uh, excited to see what happens uh, coming up this weekend in Chicago and midweek in Dallas before uh, we come home on October 30th against San Jose. Yeah, it should be great. I love I love Pablo. I've, he's been a guy who's been nothing but open and nothing but transparent. And yeah. again, that's that's the purpose of the show. I don't want to keep hammering that, but that's the purpose yeah. of the show. And uh, yeah, the, the things he says about Kyle are pretty interesting too. I think the fans. Oh yeah. Kyle Beckerman that. night coming up November 3rd. So uh, we'll have a lot more from Pablo and various channels, uh, including this one uh, about uh, what Kyle Beckerman has done uh, for this club. So can't wait to, to get into all that with everybody. But again, thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, one wire fiber uh, for presenting uh, bleeding Claret and Cobalt coming up next. Pablo Mastroni interim RSL head coach. Hey, gang, I know uh, you've heard us talk about Adam Sessions and, and One Wire, our sponsor here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt for the last several months. If you need an ISP, an internet service provider, if you're looking for an alternative, maybe you're not a small business owner, but you work for one, tell your boss to check these guys out. You can go find Adam and information about One Wire at onewirefiber.com. 
Uh, get away from the big guys. These guys will take care of you. They have all the expertise and much, much better customer service than anybody else does. Voice, video, text for business, seamless, secure, cost-effective communications. You can modernize your office with one wire, um, add productivity, reduce costs. They provide phone and network features unmatched by anyone. Again, they're Utah born and bred. They love Real Salt Lake. So check them out at onewirefiber.com. Ask for Adam, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. All right, bleeding, Claire and Cobalt. uh, Honored to be here today with... RSL interim head coach Pablo Mastroni. Pablo, thanks for taking the time to hang out with us. Stoked to be here, Trey. Yeah, so um, five games left, playoff chase, red hot, team controls its destiny. Um, it seems like it's all coming together at the right time. How do you feel? Yeah, it feels that way. You know, I think uh, there's been some really, really good performances um, that I think is the benchmark that we want to set for ourselves. Um, I think there's been a couple, uh, you know, games on the road where I think we could have done better with. And uh, so I think that's really, uh, I think, going to be the X factor is how we can pick up points away from home um, in this stretch of the last five games. Um, you know, I've listened to plenty of your interviews all year long with, with Spence Checkets. I've been uh, fortunate the last three weeks to hear kind of your pregame conversations with the broadcasters. I, I love hearing you talk about the game and life and, and how you balance everything because we all around this league, you know, we get sucked in and, and work-life balance is, is not a luxury many people have. But um, the players all year long have given you a ton of credit for just building a culture in that locker room and in this club. And um, I guess I want to hear your thoughts on – and the fans probably want to hear your thoughts on how you've done that going all the way back to preseason and, and arriving uh, in Utah for your first season here. Yeah, no, I think uh, one of the reasons uh, that I came to Salt Lake was uh, when Freddie pitched, you know, wanting to build a, wanting to build a culture yeah. and wanted, you know, some of my insights. Um, having been a captain in a locker room for many years, I felt like my job was, was to really connect the young generation of players with us older guys in that mm-hmm. locker room. Um, and one of the things I did in Colorado was I'd have the younger guys over, you know, twice a month uh, the night before a game. Little things like... Yeah pregame meals, how we prepare them, like those things. And, and more importantly, to make them feel a part of the group when they maybe were getting limited minutes on the field. And so I really, I, I really enjoyed the, that part of the game. And I felt like with, with my experiences as a player, those were fundamental to the success of the group. Mm-hmm. And, and we talk about like a family a lot of times, sure. but rarely do we go outside the training walls to really build that. Um, and so for me, it was coming in, kind of seeing how everything was laid out the last couple of years, um, knowing that we have a great foundation of younger players. Um, and then we have some great leaders like, you know, Demir Albert, um, you know, Zach McMath, guys that have been in the league for quite some time and have played at a high level. And it was, and it was basically just, um, getting to know these guys, um, away from the game and asking them about their families, um, their interests and finding different ways to connect with the different groups within that locker room. And and then, you know, with a lot of Latinos on the team as well, um, finding a way to connect with those guys. And and then kind of just being a buffer uh, to, the, to the whole group and, and, and really connecting with them, having had those experiences as a player, sure. empathizing with them, um, and then 
I think the most important thing is, is listening. You yeah. know, I think a lot of times as, uh, as coaches and older players, we think we know everything. Um, but re- really, I think brings people closer uh, is when they know that they have someone that they could talk to. Um, and at times, maybe not give any feedback. Maybe yeah. it's just listening to, 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 to bounce something off of me. So um, in that way, I, I feel like I've transitioned into this role uh, much the same way. Nothing's changed. Um, I feel like football is, is, is a player's game um, and that the onus is on really the leadership group of the team to lead yeah. um, and, and to be kind of the coaches on the field. And, you know, I think it's I think the guys have been great and they've done that. Um, and I feel like the group is is real cohesive at the moment. And obviously results help. But it's really that part of the game that really um, makes me proud um, to lead a group is when everyone else is proud to lead a group. Sure. Has COVID made some of that easier where you kind of have a bubble environment at least? And I know it's not as severe this year as it probably was in 2020 when everybody was trying to figure out how to manage that. But has that benefited maybe that bringing that core family sense together? I think so, especially at a time in the world where everyone was isolated. Mm -hmm. I felt like team sports really brought us together and kept our sanity um, in a time that was there was a lot of unknowns um, and we really had ourselves to band together to kind of overcome some difficult challenges during those times so I definitely think COVID um, if nothing else and as you saw as well as a country um, it was really the sports leagues that that started that really made um, the public feel like there's some semblance of normalcy mm-hmm. coming back. Yeah, so sure. I think both in the locker room and outside of it, sports were really critical to the, uh, to the feeling of um, we're going to get over this soon. You brought up uh, Demir and Albert and their leadership. And, and I want to talk about that here in a second, but you know, this is a club that has really put all its chips in and in, in kind of the Academy being the foundation of the pyramid. And, and, you know, for me, a guy who left the club and has come back seeing Justin and Aaron and now Andrew Brody, I mean, to me, they're still really young guys, but they've been around the club forever. And I feel like uh, they've become kind of natural leaders in that group. Is that a, a valid perception? I, I think so. Um, uh, I'm, I've been really impressed with with that group of players and and, and even Holt, um, yeah, sure. who's who's really stepped up. And you know, I think a lot of times what what younger players need is an opportunity. And I think you know, Glad and Aaron had that for for a couple of years now. Uh, you know, I think Brody and Holt this year have really stepped up as well. Yeah. Um, and and I think the more success that they achieve. Um, the more it validates the whole process, mm-hmm. you know, and I think um, with development, I always feel, and it's a part of our society and a part of our culture is that we want immediate results. Yeah. Um, Aaron and, and Glad's success span the last 15 years. Yeah. You're right. They, they started as young players and you got to give them time to develop. At times we want them to develop quicker than what they're capable of. But, uh, you know, I think the, the, the academy here we have in Salt Lake has been fantastic. Um, you know, the Monarchs acting as a, as a kind of a buffer to the next level and, and, and those players having the opportunity to play through that. Um, it, it allows for development in due time whenever yeah. each player is ready. And everyone's going to, you know, 
grow in different at different speeds in sure. different phases. Um, but uh, I've been really impressed. Aaron, you know, is, is more of a leader through his actions. Glad has now, I feel like this year, really been more vocal. Mm. Um, Holt the same way. And, and Brody, a guy that uh, I think has transitioned from more of a, a winger to now a more outside back, wing back position, mm. um, really suits his game. So I think these guys are really setting themselves up for, for a really great career in, in this league. How hard is it for, I guess, the older guys to remind the younger guys as they get into this league and get into the, you know, the ups and downs of a season that it sounds like a cliche, but that it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I mean, you've been around this league for 20 years, right? So you kind of get it. But how easy or hard is it to communicate that? Yeah, I think... I think it's it's hard to communicate, yeah. and I think only through experience mm. can you understand it. You yeah. know, I, I like to say that um, words only mean something when you can attach an emotional experience to those words, mm. meaning essentially you have to feel what it feels like to go through the process in order to really – and it's usually in hindsight, ah, oh, <laughs> Trey was right about that, man. Yeah. It, it, really, it really is a marathon, you know, so I think – I think that's a part of the learning process, um, and 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 it's funny because I remember Valderrama, Valderrama telling me the same thing. He's like, "Listen, you're going to burn yourself out. You got to slow down. You got to play smarter. You got to think more." Yeah. And and I think that's the difference too between the younger player and the older player. The younger player relies more on his physical attributes, where the older player relies more on his brain. And by the time the older <laughs> player figures out the game 100% in his head, he no longer has the physical attributes to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost this paradox in sport where sure. um, you, you're you always missing something. Um, and by the time you have everything, you don't have the body to, to endure. So, um, but I, you know, I, but I think to be fair, the, the younger guys have done a good job and we have a, a really great uh, strength and conditioning um, yeah. crew that really helps and aids in that department um, and, and kind of guide the younger players as to, when to step on the gas and when to kind of back off a bit. Tom Brady's maybe the only guy that's been able to kind of bridge that or extend that bridge, right? He's He's been phenomenal. And you brought up Carlos Valderrama. I mean, there haven't been too many MLS guys that did what he did late in his career. Yeah, right? and, you know, I was the guy that was kind of chasing behind Valderrama, <laughs> so I can attest to the fact that the physical attributes left him. Yeah. What he did have was a deft touch um, and an ability to think three or four plays ahead. Mm. And, and that allowed him to kind of sit in a little spot in the middle of the field um, and kind of orchestrate a lot like sure. Tom Brady does when yeah. he sits in the pocket. You know, he's not running. He's not running routes. He's not getting beat up every play. Yeah. Um, and it's those kind of, I think, experienced players that figure out how to have just enough physical attributes yet be able to have the, uh, the experience and the know-how to get things done. Is Dami that guy here right now? I think Dami is. I, I think, you know, Dami still has the physical attributes. Sure. You know, I think he's still, you know, I think he's top three in the league as, as far as distance covered. Mm. I think what he does away from the game and the way he lives his whole life for football mm. is, is what is required to extend your career. You know, I think a lot of players, when they get to 32, 33, they've, they think that they've figured it all out and they stop really fine tuning the physical part or their nutritional part or yeah. their mental part. Hmm. And I feel that Dami has really gone all in and saying, I'm going to do extra work. I'm going to do CrossFit with my brother in the off season. I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat <laughs> so clean 
that my body has no choice but to give me the best fuel wow. possible to endure. So um, he's really um, the standard bearer as far as what it takes to be a great pro at, a, at an older age in this league. And I know the sports science stuff is still pretty new to MLS locker rooms and teams, but I remember it's it probably eight or ten years ago, it was Precky telling me yoga was was his thing that – he swears gave him an extra four or five years in his career. I remember that. He yeah. was he, he tried to get me going to yoga oh, at the yeah. time, and I was a 21-year-old player thinking, this guy's crazy. Yeah. Um, I was limber as ever. Um, but, but again, it is, and everyone's body is going to ask something differently. Um, and Precky at the time, he was always stiff, I remember, um, <laughs> taking a lot of shots after practice, just doing the things that he thought he could do when he was younger. And then realize quickly that he's got to stay limber. He's got to, you know, he's, yeah. his hips got to open up, and uh, and and so everyone's got to find their thing. Um, and and for me too, as a uh, as a player in this league, I was I was I was in a stretching routine. I was in a meditation routine. I was into health, um, and I started figuring that part out about 28. Mm. You know, I started realizing that my nutrition is going to be the key. Um, and I dropped I think 10 pounds from 28 to 29, and uh, and I was able to play for quite a few more years. Um, one of the guys you played with, we're getting ready to honor here at Rio Tinto Stadium early November, Kyle Beckerman. And uh, you saw Kyle when he was a, a young lad there in Miami. And then obviously you spent a lot of time with him in Colorado. And and uh, and then you watched him uh, really transform this club, Salt Lake. And, and he's obviously uh, intertwined forever with our identity. He changed the competitive culture when he came over here in 2007. Um, I guess t take me back to that day in 2007 when, uh, you know, two days after Clavijo waved Chris Wingert and we picked him up, then, uh, we, we made the trade for, for Kyle. What was that like on the, on the Colorado side of things? It was strange. I remember him calling me after practice and saying that he just met with the GM and that, uh, he's going to Salt Lake. And I remember we went to lunch, um, and we sat and talked a bit and, uh, obviously I think he was a bit nervous of of moving but i think it was the right move i think um he'd kind of outgrown what we were doing in colorado and i think everything kind of happens for a reason in life yeah. and in this case um it was spot on where he came to a club that was i think looking for an identity yeah looking for someone to really take the reins and kyle i think was waiting for that for that moment in his whole career and so i think the moment he came here it felt like, I mean, looking back, it was instantaneously the impact that he had yeah. on the club the moment he stepped on the field for his first game. Um, obviously, those were just crazy days because, you know, we were renting a college stadium. We were training on turf 125 times a year. That's not good on guys' bodies in case uh, people don't know that already. I know you do. Um I heard um, a few weeks ago or a week ago, you know, time is, is a, a concept, I guess. But um, you were talking to Tom Hackett just about, about Kyle and his similarities uh, to you and what a leader he became. And now he's starting his coaching career down at UVU. And, and, and they've had, um, I think, a pretty good amount of success in the first 12 games of the season or whatever. They're above 500. Um, just what are some of your favorite Kyle Beckerman memories as, as we go down uh, that road? You know, I think my, my first memory of Kyle was we had a pretty uh, veteran team in, in Miami, and here comes this, uh, this young man from the U-17 championships where they played really well. Um, 
and he stepped in and he was kind of shocked that he wasn't in the mix right away. Like yeah. he was wondering like, well, you know, what's going on here? Uh, didn't you guys see what we just did? And, uh, and I think it's this attitude that chip on the shoulder that really was the main driver of Kyle Beckerman. I mean, he always knew in his heart that he should be on the field. He knew he should be leading. He knew he was a great player. Um, and so right away, you know, I was playing in the midfield and I was, you know, 21 at the time. And he would be like, let's go one, one-on-one. Let's go, let's do five balls. Let's go attack and then defend. So let's really challenge each other. And, and I was thinking to myself, man, this guy really wants to, to, to do something with his career. I was remember thinking this guy, man, he's rarely do younger players reach out. Yeah. Especially in, in today's game, it's even rarer. There's no, there's, there's no real guy that comes in and wants to own it. Yeah. And those that do are probably playing in Europe at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are the guys that believe in themselves so much. Sure. That, um, but Kyle was like that, and we train and we challenge each other in training every day. We'd work stuff after, and this happened over the course of a couple of years in, in Miami, and then we went to Colorado. It was the same thing, um, and so I, I think, you know, when I look back and I see that, it's no surprise to me that he was able to go on and achieve what he did with his career. Um, man, there's so many directions I can go with you right now, and and I don't want to. Uh, take up too much of your time. Obviously, um, this has been a strange year for this club. You've come in um, during 2021, no owner. Um, I think we all thought that we'd maybe have one by now, and and there's still optimism that by the end of 2021, uh, Freddie's decision, I think, caught everybody off guard. But uh, here is a team um, kind of molding itself maybe in your image as as you've talked about as we've all talked about uh fifth place in the west five games to go controlling its destiny and a team that all the pundits had finishing 13th out of 13 in the west but you know who really knows in a preseason especially mls such a parody driven league i mean there's teams that spend a lot of money that are bottom five and there's teams like salt lake and colorado that are i think bottom five seven and spend and are right there, you know, in the top five in the West. So um, how would you kind of describe your attitude, your staff's attitude and the locker room's attitude going into Chicago, Dallas, and then a couple home games before decision day in Kansas City? Yeah, you know, I think it was a really strange year. Um, And and I think you always hear people saying that uh, it's the hardships that mold you, Mm. you know, and I think um, going through all these different, difficult situations early on in the year kind of molded this group to be a little bit more thick-skinned. Um, and and again, I, I want to reiterate the fact that I really feel that this is a player's game. And I think when you empower the players mm. um, and they're a part of the decision-making process um, in ways um, that allow them to express their best selves on the field, and, and you put all those things together, overcoming hardships, players that want to play, players that enjoy playing with each other, players that come in and are challenged every day. I think you create an environment that is um, conducive to, to making a good run in these last five games. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the league is such that there's there's no easy game. Um, there's there's teams that will be playing that that will not have a chance in the playoffs. Those guys are all playing for something. Sure. Those guys are playing for their own professional careers. Um, they're playing for an opportunity to be on that team next year, showcase their talents. Uh, and, and, and so I think that 
the the challenge for us is really to to, to focus inward on what we're trying to accomplish, um, given the set of circumstances that we've we've endured. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm optimistic that we'll put together some great performances in these last five games. Um, you know, and we do control our fate. And and I think that the the key for me is really finding a way to get some results in these away games because I think not only to get to get into the playoffs, but once you're in, you're going to have to have a road game as well. Mm. And so it's preparing that mentality that this game is just as important as any home game moving down the stretch here in the last five games. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think in an ideal scenario, you are, you are able to just focus one game at a time. But when you have five games in, I think, 14, 15, 16 mm -hmm. days, that schedule congestion because of – COVID and just the way the season ends. And, and I think everybody's pretty much got that, that compact schedule. I think you could probably make the argument that in this league, in the salary cap league, right, nobody really has the depth to be able to manage that the way you probably would want to. Mm -hmm. So I guess my initial thought is maybe it's hard to not look past whatever the next game is because you do have to manage three games in a week and all that stuff. But how do, how do you guys kind of – tackle that that uh, dilemma yeah it's not easy and like you said ideally if you're in the middle of the season you can kind of figure out we'll take it one game at a time you got you know you we have enough games to kind yeah. of make up for these games here you know definitely looking at the next set of three games thinking about possible substitution patterns mm. um, players that are critical to be on the field every game yet how do you manage their minutes mm. um, and having um, two or three different lineups, starting lineups, three or two or three different uh, subbing rotations. Mm. Um, and so we go through this process wow. uh, just so that we don't leave any stone unturned, yeah. really. It, and it, it's not easy. And it, in a weird way, it doesn't show up like you had it written down, but it's always in the back of your mind that something needs to be tweaked and you're already preset for what that tweak looks like. Mm. So you might have had a certain player in there, but for whatever reason, um, there was an injury in the last game. He went in, yeah. but you are you already thought about, okay, so that was a position that we were talking about. Now we really have to do it. Now it's not a sub. We have to start with a different player. So we go through this process, and we, and we touch it up. Um, literally uh, the day of the game, we'll go back over it, you know, three or four hours before to make sure that we're all dialed in and, and – the subs that we're making will fit in line with what not just this game, but the next three games looks like. Yeah. Um, how, I guess, encouraging is it for you as you think about that stuff, seeing the growth of, obviously you got a group that loves fighting for each other. I think it's, it's apparent when you watch the games. Um, and then when you see, you know, Anderson Julio really embracing that, killer closer role off the bench right five of his eight goals have come off the bench and I mean we could talk about 14 guys um that way but that's gotta it's gotta like warm your heart but I guess it probably also makes some of these decisions really difficult for you to have all that investment no it does uh, it's it's not easy you know I think there's uh there's a lot you know especially for me where I really care sometimes I think too much mm about how each individual feels. And at times it weighs on you as a coach. There's a lot of sleepless nights where I'm thinking, how do we get said player on the field to make sure that he um, feels a part of it? Because yeah. I could say we're a team, but in, yeah. but he's got to feel it. Sure. 
you know, and it's so difficult. And in Anderson's case, you know, I think it's, 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 it's been a revelation really, um, having taken him from playing a winger position where he's played. And then I thought with his speed and his attributes, I think he can come in. I think San Jose was the first game he came as came in as a Ford. Uh, and he was when he subbed in as a Ford yeah. and he was dangerous. He had scored as a Ford against LAFC, but he'd subbed in. I thought, man, when teams really get tired, there's nothing worse than looking over on the sidelines and seeing Anderson coming into the game. I mean, that is a, that yeah, is a center sure. backs nightmare. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've had a couple conversations with him and it's rare that you find a guy that is happy with 15 to 20 minutes of playing time. Sure. I mean, obviously no one's, nobody's happy when they're not playing. Yeah. Uh, people are, you know, disappointed when they're only playing 15, 20, but he says, you know, I'm here for the team. However, hmm. you know, however you think I could best help the team. And for me, obviously, that's a big weight off my chest. But now seeing the success that he's had, he's almost embraced this closer role. You know, the guy that, you know, that sure. you know, Rivera <laughs> that comes in for the Yankees and just yeah. throws four pitches and, and, and gets all the accolades, you know. And so I, I think this position is really important. Um, and not too often is it accepted and as successful as it's been with Anderson. So um, he's been a real bright spot here in the stretch. And I – I, I hope, and I think we're all optimistic that he'll continue to be that same player as as we close out the season. All right, last uh, last question. Just how are you enjoying Utah and the the fan reaction, the fan culture around the club? How much of it are you able to uh, kind of tap into and fuel that fire? It's been amazing, to be honest. I, I didn't realize uh, the impact that Salt Lake had on, uh, Real had on the Salt Lake community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when I first was named the interim, I went to go watch one of Kyle's games at UVU. Yeah. And uh, there was four or five people that came up to me. And again, I didn't have a press conference. I There's no, yeah. you know, it wasn't. And, and at that moment, I realized how important Real Salt Lake are to this community. Um, and then obviously standing on the sidelines and, uh, you know, watching the stands fill up, watching the passion um, with all the plays and, and really being that 12th man mm. for us yeah. has been has been something I haven't experienced at the other clubs that I've been at. And so for me, there'd be nothing more fitting for, for a very unusual year than to have success, make a run in the playoffs, and, and give the fans what I think they deserve. It's funny you say that because you talked about Kyle's chip on his shoulder. Um, this city, this state, this community definitely has a chip on its shoulder. And you know, Kyle got here at the perfect time because Dave Checkett's had that, Jason Kreiss had that, and then uh, you know Kyle kind of made it all um, come together, I guess, on the field. So we still got it. That's awesome. No, and I think Kyle's going to have that for quite some time here in in, in Utah. Yeah. And and there's no doubt in my mind that sooner than later he will be standing on the sidelines back with his old club leading this group uh, to another MLS Cup. Nice. Well, Pablo, thanks for your time today. We'll we'll look forward to having you on again uh you know before the playoffs start sounds great Trey. appreciate it thank you all right what great stuff that was from pablo never get tired listening to him talk about anything and everything if you haven't heard him on with spence check it's bill riley on espn 700 make sure you uh make those part of your uh daily weekly regimen uh we'll have him on again here uh bleeding claret and cobalt before the playoffs start and um i don't know i could just listen to him talk about 
life, soccer, meditation, uh, the community, uh, ways to cope, relax, to extend your career. I mean, we get in, we got into a lot of that fun stuff, and uh, there's a lot more on tap for Pablo Mastroeni, whatever his role is with the organization uh, permanently going forward. Thanks for rating, reviewing, subscribing, downloading, listening, and sharing this podcast, Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, presented by One Wire Fiber at One Wire VOIP. Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt.